Omajana Trinandasya, Janajana Salakaya, Chakshura Militanyena, Jasmai Sri Gurave Namaha, Panchakaptubhischa, Kripa Sindhubhivacha, Patitadam Pabhanebhyo Vaishnavijya Namo Namaha. So good evening. Thank you for coming. We will continue discussing tonight the Tattva Sandarbha of Srila Jiva Goswami. And we will begin with the 39th Anucheda. Uh, further refutations of Pratibhimbavad and Parichedavad. I want to read that Anucheda 39 for you. So at this point, Jiva Goswami is, is going to make it perfectly clear that the Advaita Vad, conception of Brahman as presented by Sankaracharya and his followers is is not viable. So this particular Anucheda, this section, reads, Conversely, if the Upadis are only apparently real, avijjaka, then Brahman's delimitation Parichedavad and Reflexi Pratyvimbavad are also only apparently real, since these processes do not, in fact, occur. So Jiva is saying if these Upadis are not really real, if they only appear to be real, if the Upadis are only apparently real, then chopping Brahman up and putting it in pots or reflecting Brahman in in the concept of reflection wherein we could see like the reflection of the sun in so many bodies of water if they're only apparent then they're not real since these processes do not in fact occur so why don't they occur? So he goes on. Since the Advaita Vadi's doctrine is based on the analogy of an unreal dream state, such analogies as that of the pot and open space, akasa, which involve real upadis, cannot serve to establish it. So what he's saying is, you can't have this concept that the Advaitins put forward regarding Brahman, you can't say that, well, it's really not real if you're going to treat, treat it like a dreamlike state. In other words, you can't have it both ways. You cannot have this ideal of Brahman being influenced by ignorance if you're only going to refer to it logically as, as a dreamlike occurrence. No proper analogy can be drawn between real and unreal things. This is just a matter of logic. And remember, this, is, this plays in very much to the nature of dialogue when it comes to this level of discourse regarding matters of 
of the self. Can I just see if I understand it? So they're saying that they're that the Advaitins say that it's unreal. So, That's one of their arguments. Right, it's unreal. So you can't but you, the sun does shine in different pots and the sun and the air is contained in a pot. So therefore you can't use examples of real things to validate unreal things. Yes, you can't let's let's continue with the Anuchedi and you'll see. He says, no proper analogy can be drawn between the two. And then we're going to, we're going to go into fluffing that out so we can see how that just doesn't make sense by looking at other instances. Therefore, the Advaitavadi's theories of division and reflection are nothing but the play of illusion, unprovable due to their inherent faulty application of analogies. So Jiva's saying you can't draw an analogy between something that you're saying doesn't exist in the first place and something that is empirically understood to exist. It just, it does not make sense. So for you to draw this conclusion and use this as an explanation it's not a valid approach to the logic of reasoning. So I'll, I'll kind of go over some of what is in the, the commentary drawn, drawn from Srila Jiva Goswami's own commentary. Remember, Jiva Goswami presented his own commentary on the first four Sandarbhas. And the first four Sandarbhas deal with what? Sambandhagyan. So he further elaborated. Not only did he draw his conclusions in Anuchedas, which are sections of logical presentation, but he also gave further commentary to, to bring out exactly his meaning. When we talk about a, an upadi, what are we referring to? What is the definition? It's a designation that is given to something in relationship. In other words, the, what's generally given as an explanation of upadi is you have a clear crystal. Now the crystal's qualities are that of, of clear, clearness. But when you put that substance, the crystal, in front of a red rose, it appears that the crystal's red although the crystal is not red. So similarly, when you put Brahman, this is how, we, how it plays out in the explanations here, when you look at pure Brahman, spiritual substance, when you use these explanations of Brahman being separated into different pots, the pots here being different bodies. A portion of Brahman is, is placed in a pot and that portion can be compared to the air. Right, So you have air inside and outside of a pot. So that demarcation is the upadi. It's a designation, as you say, 
of the jiva created by the constraint of a pot. Or it is a designation of the jiva as reflecting into material nature, like the sun reflecting in water. The jiva is apparently affected by that upadi, but in reality it isn't. So jiva is saying, well, you can't draw logically a conclusion between something that you know as empirically real and place that in relationship to Brahman because they're, it's just a logical fallacy. Does that make sense? It's not logic, logical. Let's go on. The Sankarites, followers of Sankaracharya, define illusory not as total non-existence, rather not existing on the empirical nor ontological level. Okay. They accept something as illusory using this definition of illusory. That it's not total non-existence, rather it's something that doesn't exist on the empirical level nor the ontological level. What are these levels? Well, empirical means with our senses. We can perceive it. I can see it, taste it, smell it, touch it. Well, it's not illusory on that level. And it's not spiritually, ontologically, in relationship to Brahman, which is their concept. It's also, it can't exist on that level as illusory. But it is an illusion. What? It's on the ele- level, and here's the proper understanding of how it's an illusion. It's like a hallucination. He's going to draw all this out and just smash it. All right? But let's see how he's drawing it out. So like a dream or a misconception. You can dream you're the king, but you wake up you're not the king. You can dream that you're a jiva in the body, but when you wake up, you're Brahman. You can hallucinate that you're the king of heaven. But when the drug wears off, or the fever wears off, and the hallucination subsides, you're still a pauper living in the gutter begging for your food. This is the manner in which the Advaitins look at and try to present some logical correlation between what we experience and what is their conception of spirituality. Remember, their conception of spirituality is pretty, it's radical non-dualism. They have no logical way of explaining qualities in relationship to spirit, potencies in relationship to spirit, personality in relationship to spirit. Spirit is that non-dual 
everything that pervades everything that has no characteristics, no color, no smell, no arms, no legs. <laughs> they have a hard time of it. So Jiva's now breaking their presentation down and saying, okay, first of all, it just doesn't make sense. You cannot compare dreams and hallucinations to reality. The analogies do not stand up. Perceptions are intangible. This is what the, their perceptions are intangible, like feasting in a dream. Now, you're having a dream, and in the dream you're having a feast. How does that correlate with reality? When you wake up, you're still hungry. So how can you use this? He's trying to make his point. How can you use this analogy? Because we know that feasting in a dream will not satisfy your hunger. Taking a rope for a snake, this analogy again and again, the rope for the snake. So he's saying here, perceptions, what we perceive, what we accept as, our re as reality, they must be of the same grade of reality. You can't mix apples and oranges. You can't mix hallucinations with valid sensual perceptions. They're not on the same level. Don't expect us to, ex to accept your arguments wherein you are trying to <laughs> present Either, the, either one of these two conceptions and have us accepted, accept it as logically and spiritually valid because it is not. A couple things to bring out this. Again, is everyone understanding the difference between apparent realities from hallucinations and dreams and insanity from empirical realities? something that you can actually experience. Wait, you're saying that what we experience is a hallucination? No, he's making the point that the arguments that are being presented mm -hmm. yeah. by the radical non-dualists are comparing what is, because they don't accept these as real, because the world isn't real. Well, how can you present these arguments when we know there is these experiences. You're trying to mix two things together and present a logic which is not make sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 I get that. Okay. A couple other things are here to bring out the point. Like dreams. You may have a dream. I'm not going to be party to what you experienced in your dream. Nobody else in this room is going to know what you experienced in your dream. No one here is going to be party to my dream. You may be in my dream, but you're not going to, you are not going to experience it. Make sense? Mm -hmm. So things must be of the same class, is a way to put it. So he's saying, Jeeva's saying, everything that you're putting forward, it just comes down to a mental exercise. It just doesn't make sense. There's no sound reasoning behind what you're presenting to us as a logical and a spiritual reality. Now this will come out more 
as we go forward. So Anucheta 40. Inconsistencies in radical non-dualism, Advaita Vod. I think this will will bring home the point. Just just looking at it from the last Anucheta and saying, well, they're on two different levels of you're trying to present something to us on two different levels of logic. One being it's all a hallucination, a dream, an illusion, and you're trying to use those kind of arguments when in fact, and you're applying those arguments to what we experience as reality in the world. It's a mind exercise. So he goes on. This is Anucheta 40. This is the inconsistencies in this radical non-dualism. In this way, by basing their ideas on Brahman and Avidya, ignorance alone, the Advaitavadis contradict themselves when they say that one undivided Brahman, pure by virtue of being unadulterated consciousness, and thus altogether free from contact with Avidya, ignorance, is nonetheless polluted by contacting Avidya and thus becomes Jiva. How can you make this contradictory statement is what Jiva Goswami is asking of the Advaitins. How can you make this contradictory statement and expect us to accept it? How? It makes no sense. You're saying that the Brahman, which is pure, unadulterated consciousness, how can it become unpure by contacting ignorance and result in a cleavage or a reflection, whichever one you want to accept. We'll, we pre- you present both of those as viable analogies. Of course, you're saying, the he said in the last annotator, the analogy is between something on the unreal plane of experience and on the real plane and no person of any intelligence would accept the two as a logical point of of argument or reference or comparison. Brahman cannot touch ignorance, but you're saying somehow it does touch ignorance and results in the jiva. Okay. Then again, he goes on, then again, the Advaitavadis claim that the same Brahman becomes the supreme being Ishvara owing to his being the shelter of Maya the phenomenal world appearance which is itself a fabrication of the jivas of Vidya. Then you go on to say that there has to be a controller of the Maya because it can't just be uncontrolled. We see there is some logical karma and reaction that the jivas experience in in contact with Maya and somebody has to administrate that. So you need a god from that jiva who somehow contacted Maya and been illusioned by ignorance, avidya, in order to 
make it all work, we need to have an Ashvarya. Okay, now where are you going? Where is this coming from? So that has to be a fabrication of the Jivas of Vidya. Because the whole thing is what? It's an illusion. It's unreal. It doesn't exist. And yet, that very Brahman supposedly again becomes the Jiva due to the influence of Isvara's Maya. These two states, however, are clearly incompatible. The inevitable contradictions implicit in this view are that Avidya is able to infiltrate pure consciousness, Brahman, Okay, follow along with what Jiva's saying here. Okay. These contradictions lead to this conclusion. The inevitable contradictions implicated in this view are that Avidya is able to infiltrate pure consciousness. They haven't told us where it came from, but somehow it's infiltrated Brahman. That Vidya knowledge is present within Ishvara who is nonetheless an apati upon Brahman, okay, fabricated out of that of Vidya, and that although Ishvara is the proprietor of Vidya, he is yet illusory in nature. We should carefully analyze how the, <laughs> these and other speculative ideas are simply incoherent. So, a round of applause for Jiva Goswami. Where are you coming up with this stuff? What kind of fools do you think we are? That you say you have this conception of the impersonal Brahman being the ultimate ideal of spirituality. But you cannot explain me away. How can you explain my condition as a jiva? How can you explain the fact that somehow or other I'm experiencing with a set of senses, sensory perceptions, and being adequately dealt with due to my engagement with material nature by some higher authority in the form of the reactions of karma but your, Burma, your conception of Brahman is undifferentiated totality of everything. So, Anucheta 40. So, these are some of the questions that come out of this. And they're fun. We'll just go through them one by one. These are Jiva's questions. How can pure, indivisible consciousness have portions that fall under maya and think themselves jivas? Please, if you're, you're an Advaitin, please answer me these questions. How, how is this possible? One. How can knowledge and delusion occupy the same location? Because it's all one. So how can you have knowledge and ignorance at the same place? How can you have darkness and light at the same place? It's undifferentiated Brahman. It has no qualities. 
So how can you have these occurrences? If Brahman cannot be, if it's indivisible, it can't be chopped up, then how is it fragmented into innumerable jivas? If Maya is involved with Brahman, if Maya has an involvement with Brahman, then Brahman's going to need to be downgraded to the empiric level so that Maya can influence it. But Brahman is without attributes and does not change. Or Maya would have to be upgraded to the ontological level of Brahman and in doing so it would have an influence on Brahman and where's your whole concept of non-dualism? How do you explain that? And if Maya has control over Brahman so much so that we can have the individualized jivas if that's a possibility, if that's even remotely possible, then Brahman's subordinate to Maya, right? If Maya can influence Brahman so that you can have jivas, then Maya's more influential. All right, so therefore it goes on. This is interesting. And we've heard some of this argument put forward in, in the context of, of the Gaudiya philosophy. Well, the Advaitins say, let's not be concerned with this right now. Right now, understand you're in a burning building. Maya does have an influence on you. And you just, we these things are inexplicable. So, when the house is on fire, then you need to attain liberation from the fire and free yourself from the environment. That's fine, but how can you... You're not convincing me that what you're offering is any better than what I have now. How are you convincing me that it's any better? The house is on fire and you want me to jump out the window. But out the window, what do we have? We merge into Brahman and we lose our we lose ourselves. What kind of a proposition is that? Now I have some pleasure anyway. Pleasure in what? Well now you have the pleasure of being burned up. Yes. <laughs> but what is there is their pleasure any better? Being burned up or being obliterated into the nothingness of Brahman? No more suffering. No more suffering. Well, that's that's a good point, huh? How do you know there's no suffering? Because there's nothing there. Okay, there's not undifferentiated nothingness. The Advaitin's basic, the basis of what they present is Brahman comes under the influence of ignorance and thus the jiva arises. But really, the jiva creates what what that maya is, is what? 
it's an illusion, it doesn't really exist, then a portion of that maya gives shelter to the jiva, and we call that Ishvara. So there's some shelter for the suffering jivas, but that shelter Ishvara comes about in relationship only with the jiva and maya. It's not independently spiritually anything. It comes out of necessity. But are they using the word Ishwara like as God? As a God according to their ideal of God. And it comes from Maya. Well, it's Maya. Everything's Maya except Brahman. Maya then follows Ishvara's dictates and controls the Jiva. Who is Brahman covered by Maya? Jiva says this is all just self-contradictory. There's no logic in this. It contains a logical fault. And again, remember, these spiritualists, these deep thinkers, they really go into... They do not allow certain things to transpire in a discourse. So Jiva brings out here, what's happening here is you're having what is called a logical fault. It's called mutual dependence. You have the law, you're utilizing the logical fault of mutual dependence. Maya originates from the, from the Jiva's contact with Avidya. When Brahman, in other words, Maya is not attributed, attributed with having any consciousness, whereas Brahman is. So therefore, Maya, in this context, is arriving, for, is arising from the jiva. Brahman contacts ignorance, and thus becomes segregated, cleaved, or either reflected into what is Maya. So the jiva originates from the from Maya, and Maya originates from the jiva. They can't exist without each other. So this is the codependence mm -hmm. that Jiva Goswami is bringing out in their argument. What can't exist without each other? Hmm? What can't the Jiva? They can't exist without each other. In other words, you're using the argument. He's saying to the Advaitins, you're using the argument that the Jiva contacts ignorance, You call that, we can call that Maya, and comes in, and, and therefore Brahman is segregated, okay. whichever way, whether you look at it as a reflection or if you look at it as, as air being in containerized, all right, which either way, and then on the other hand, the jiva originates from that ignorance. So both are interrelated, so they're mutually dependent. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Like, like I get, I get what they're what they're saying, like how like the ignorance and the even like that, it's Maya. But then I start getting confused about. It's it's confusing because they don't. It's not. 
It's self-contradict. It's a contradiction in itself. Brahman, the pure spiritual substance of, of it all, contacts contacts ignorance. Well, where'd that ignorance come from? Well, it comes from the jiva contacting ignorance. We have a jiva. Well, that jiva, that ignorance has to be maya, an illusion. Okay. All right? It's not the reality of, of Brahman. So they use maya as the source for the jiva, and the jiva is the source for maya because Brahman can't be the source for maya because in Brahman there is no differentiation differentiation between knowledge and ignorance because it's that undifferentiated substance spiritual substance which is the be all and end all of all that's what he's saying it what what you're saying doesn't make sense the advaitans he's saying what you're saying is it's it's called a mutual an argument based on mutual dependence Advaitins cannot explain how Maya's division into Vidya and in, in Avidya comes into existence. They can't explain it. They have no logical presentation to explain how Maya can be divided into ignorance and knowledge. For Brahman is devoid of qualities and cannot be divided. Brahman has no qualities, has no attributes. Other considerations. Where does avidya come from? Brahman is originally featureless, so where does this feature of ignorance come from? If avidya can bind Brahman, isn't it more powerful? Simple thing. Can you explain this away? You know, Jiva's saying, okay, you have a portion of Brahman, which you're calling the Jiva, which is separated, and you say, by an illusion, but you can't deny that it you are separated. You can't deny that there is a, an experience, an, an empirical, sensory sense that you are not the complete spiritual whole that you really are. So, you're in ignorance, but you're Brahman. Well, okay, it doesn't, you have no logical explanation to explain this. All this is meant, us, meant to bring us to the conclusion that Krishna stu Bhagavan Swayam. There is somebody in charge. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. Not near Vishesha. The supreme spiritual non-dual substance has spiritual qualities, potencies, and when we introduce that concept of simultaneous Difference and non-difference. All the pieces of the puzzle fit together. 
But what Sankaracharya is presented as your Sambandha Abhideya and Prayojan, it does not fit together in any way, shape, nor form. Their analogy of a spider, so they use the analogy of the spider, and Jiva says, okay, you use this analogy of the spider weaving the web from itself. And then it gets bound up in its own web. If there's a spider, the spider has to have qualities and attributes and potencies in order to make a web. Well, how can Brahman, how can, how can you use this analogy when the substance you're trying to apply the analogy to is not in the same category? You're trying to use Brahman, which has no qualities, no differentiations, no potencies, no attributes, and you're trying to say, well, it's like a spider. Wait! <laughs> A spider has legs, a spider has a little mouth, eyes, actually a lot of, I don't know, does it have a lot of eyes? It can, it can, it can regurgitate and make a web out of what it consumes, then it can withdraw the web. What is, is there anything, is there any commonality between Brahman and the spider? No. Then you can't use that analogy. That's a logical fallacy. Makes sense? Brahman is unlimited and devoid of parts. How could it possibly cast a reflection? Can you explain that? Brahman is described as pure awareness. Well, if it's aware, it has to be aware of something. There has to be an object. So for knowledge, you have to have a knower, you have to have knowledge, and you have to have the knowable. We use these things to explain, to, to describe Brahman, but the pieces don't fit. You have to have an object to be aware. You're saying Brahman is pure awareness of what? How could it be awareness? Of itself. Of itself? Well, if it is aware of itself, itself would have to have qualities. And you say Brahman is without qualities. Anything that exists has some kind of energy or attribute. Ontological existence of Brahman defeats its attributeless existence. Anything that exists has to have energy or attributes, everything, has some qualities. Your ontological, your spiritual definition, what you present as Brahman, has no attributes. But you, in explaining it, you ascribe attributes to it. Doesn't make sense. And how would you even be aware that attributes exist if you're part of something with no attributes. Yes. Not possible. You don't have any consciousness of the concept of attributes. Correct. So then he comes to the last, this is their last, one of their, I don't know if it's the last or the first, 
does it matter? It's all one. <laughs> but <laughs> he comes to the last little trick that the Adwaitans try to use. The Adwaitans then argue that Brahman cannot be taken in its primary meaning. Again, this is a matter of logical, logical presentation. Which, is, which would entail having a substance, quality, class, or activity. All right, Something that has a primary meaning. When we talk about the primary meaning, we're talking about what is a substance, or a quality, or a class, or an activity. Okay, But it's indirect meaning. Mukya artha or laksha artha. Jiva says a, a secondary meaning, an indication of the of the primary thing that something is only comes into play when the primary meaning does not apply we mentioned this before he's used this before we talk about the ganga when i say ganga we think of a river when i say the sage lived on the ganga well, you know from practical experience the sages aren't living on the water of the Ganga. They're not living on the Ganga. He's living on a hut on the bank of the Ganga. So the primary definition is there, the river, and in that instance you also have a secondary definition. So the Advaitins explain the material world as the basis of maya, which is neither sat or asat. But this is in direct opposition to what the Upanishads say, and specifically the Gita Upanishad. Krishna himself says what? Of the non... Huh? Sat and asat. Of the asat, there is no existence, and of the sat, there's pure existence. There's no cessation. No cessation, correct. The Bhayavadis say, well, it's not really sat or asat. It's an illusion. What is the it in the sentence? What you're experiencing as a reality. What you're experiencing as sat or asat is neither. It's an illusion. And then they bring. We are. We're not really in illusion. We are illusion. Well, no, you're Brahman. You're Brahman. That's their. That's their philosophy. In illusion. You're Brahman. That's shining through a crystal of ignorance. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're not ignorance. You're it's not, not affecting you, it's just affecting the beam of Brahman that's going through the apati that is affected. It's taking on the apati. Yeah, yes. it's over there, but the Brahman's not affected. There's a nice explanation here. He says, okay, and it, it, what you use is you continually use this analogy of the rope and the snake. So there is a rope, and you're accepting the rope as a snake because you can't see things as they are. Right? But, Jiva says, you're saying that it's all what? It's a myth. It's, it's okay. myth. It's, 
It's an illusion. You're accepting a rope as a snake, but that's an illusion. It's not really a snake. It's a rope. But, but why are you accepting it? Why are you accepting it as a snake? Because you have an experience of a snake. A child will never be illusioned that a rope is a snake until it has an experience of a snake. So he's using that to defeat their argument that it's really all an illusion. You're saying it's all an illusion, but you can't have, you can't utilize this argument <coughs> unless you've had experience of a real illusion. Then he goes on to smash with the with this concept. You say that Brahman is the only ontological reality. Remember we went over these concepts of what? There's an illusion, a dream, a hallucination, not really real, other people can't participate in it. That's one level of reality which has no basis in real reality. Then you have a level of reality coming to you as a jiva through your senses. Okay, so that's another, that's the empiric level of reality. And then you have, according to the Advaita Vod, you have ontological reality. The real truth about existence and reality, which is Brahman. If Brahman is the only ontological reality, you can't depend on illusion, dreams, hallucinations, can't depend on those, you can't depend on sensory perception, then what is it that you can depend on? You say you accept the scriptures, but on the same line, you say that the only ontological reality is Brahman. So how can something that is not Brahman lead you to a conclusion, spiritual revelationary understanding, if it's not Brahman? Scripture can only be an empirical truth. It could not be Subda Brahman, is basically what Jiva's saying here. So you're saying you accept the scripture, but you can't. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, on one hand, you accept Shastra as a valid means of enlightenment when the only reality is Brahman and Brahman has certain, you've attributed to Brahman certain characteristics. Of course, one of those is it can't have any characteristics. <laughs> okay, but that's, that's another thing. You, you can't really accept scripture because the scripture is coming about through what? The influence of my Krishna makes it easy. Mamai vam so jiva loke jiva bhuta sanatana. 
the living entities in this conditional world are my eternal fragmental parts. Due to conditional life, they are struggling very hard with the six senses, which include the mind. So here's a very straightforward scriptural presentation which completely explains the condition of the jiva. And we've just gone through an hour of trying to deal with the misconceptions that the Mayavads put forward and Jiva's complete crushing of all of them, showing that they don't make they do not make sense logically and they have no basis in Subda Brahman. So there's two Nor Anachedas that take us out of this. And basically the next one deals with is Srila Dave Vyasadeva's direct experience doesn't support this radical non-dualism. They don't fit together at all. And then the last one is um, we've heard these explanations and these explanations of Sankaracharya and the radical non-dualists and the Advaita Vadis. We've heard these explanations and these their explanations are based on the Veda. They come from the Veda. They're verses from the Veda. How do we as Vaishnavs how are we to understand those statements in the Vedas where the concepts of Pratibhimba and Paricheta Vad are presented. So these are the last two things that Jiva Goswami presents. One is everything that they present does not correspond with the experience of the author of the Vedas. That's kind of a problem for them. But there are statements in the Upanishads, in the Vedas, that do present these ideas of Brahman and Vedanti Tat Tat Vidas, Tatvam Yaj Janamad Bhayam, Brahmati Paramatmati, Bhagavaniti Sabjate. There is latitude within an understanding of the truth of spirituality that does allow for someone, us, a jiva, to accept the Supreme as that ultimate non-dual substance. What's the proper way to see that? And what's the proper way to understand those statements in the scriptures? So we'll deal that with this in the next class. Any questions? Anything else? We'll be done with nothing. I'm ready to move on to something. Thank you so much for your association. Thank you.